was the bottom of the seventh inning, and I was called in to pinch hit. <laughs> so here I am, and you can turn with me in your Bibles this morning uh, to First Peter chapter three and verse eight. Pastor Dale uh, read that text for us, and uh, we're going to read it again, and then we're going to ask the Lord uh, for help to pray. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you, Lord. We just acknowledge that you are our God and that there is none like you and that you are perfect in all of your ways and that you are a holy God, a just God, and one, Lord, that requires holiness from your people. Indeed, Lord, we have been created in your image and given life through your Son. Lord, we ask that we would honor you today. And Lord, that you would give us our best minds, to put our best minds forward, Lord, as we hear the word of God this morning. And Lord, that we would not be mere hearers only. Father, that that we would not yawn at your word, but Lord, it would cause our hearts to race within our, our chests. And Lord, that it would cause our hearts to burn for you. And Lord, that we would be eager to run and do the things that you ask us to do, no matter what it is, Lord. Father, we see your son laying down his life for us. May you fill our hearts with the power of your spirit to lay down our life for you and one another, Lord. We just ask for help. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here this morning who have not come to saving faith in Christ, that today would be the sweet day of their salvation, Lord. And that your spirit would cause them to be born again to a living hope unto Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. We ask these things in your name. Amen. As we look at this passage this morning, it's, it's very clear that these Commands, these imperative commands of Scripture are in relation to our relationships with one another. That word relationships can provoke quite a wide variety of thoughts and emotions in all of us. To some, that word is, is filling our hearts with excitement and joy. As we think about the various relationships that we've had with others in our life. And, and yet at the same time, for others, it may be a word that causes pain and discomfort and sorrow. The word simply means the way in which two or more people talk to, behave toward, and deal with one another. Well, God created us as image bearers and, and as people of God that have an intellect, a will, an emotion, we are able to interact with one another. We're able to experience things along with each other. But it also presents some challenges. We have challenges in our relationships, no doubt. And at the start of this new year, I I want you guys to, to take this new year and even just to take this sermon as an opportunity to challenge yourself to examine the way that you are relating to one another, especially those in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And I want to do that under the authority of God's word this morning. And I want you to examine your heart. I want you to examine your heart under God's word and that you would seek his strength, that you would seek his help, And that if you see anything that you are doing that is against God's word and the way that you relate to others, especially in the body of Christ, that you would be resolved in your heart to make any necessary changes to honor God. Well, we're accustomed to expository preaching and usually 
Pastor Matt will work through a whole book of the Bible, and so if you find yourself in chapter 3, you'd already have a good background to what the, the book is about. And, uh, but today, uh, I, I'm in the middle of this book, and so I want to give you a little bit of a background to help you to understand what this book of 1 Peter is about. In this book, Peter is teaching us that we can have hope in the midst of trial. And this was written in a very, very difficult time in the early church. Peter was writing to believers, and in chapter 1, you might notice that he's writing to believers who were scattered. And, and they were scattered in these different locations, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. It seems as if there was such great persecution that these people in the early church were on the move quite a bit. And it was difficult. It was a very difficult time in, in church history. There was a, a very wicker, wicked emperor uh, by the name of Nero who was emperor of Rome. And he delighted in a very horrific persecution of Christians. He would torture them. He would apprehend them. And he would put them to death. And Peter's writing with some very key and essential information that would encourage them to be filled with hope. And this hope was connected to the promises of God through faith in the gospel of his son. And these beautiful promises of God in the gospel were written to help these dear saints to navigate through the very difficult trials that they faced in their life. In chapter 1, Peter highlights the sovereign hand of God in their salvation as he calls them chosen. They are chosen of God. And he references the mercy of God and the grace of God in causing them to be born again. Born to a living hope. And this hope was connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ the Lord. And he reminds them that their inheritance that is in Christ, unlike any earthly inheritance, will never perish, will never ever be defiled. It will never ever fade away. And this inheritance for these men and women of God, and no doubt for us as well who have faith in Christ, is being reserved for us in heaven. You have a reservation in heaven for an inheritance that will never perish. And they themselves, Peter says, are being protected by the power of God that they would remain in the faith, being protected by the power of God for this inheritance that they would one day receive in the last time. And so we notice that Peter's writing during a very difficult time in the early church, and these people, in their faith in Christ, very much so, placed a target on their back that they could be put to death. Many of these people that he was writing this letter to, no doubt, had lost loved ones through persecution. And yet he's pointing them to a living hope. Things that this world cannot take away from them. And no doubt, we need to remind ourselves of those very things. That through faith in Christ, we have a hope for a resurrection and an inheritance that cannot be taken from us. And it's very encouraging to consider because we often go through difficulty in this world. We suffer. It's part of our life here. We suffer. And there's temptations for us. And we're faced with temptations day by day. And are we going to put on the new man or are we going to act like the old man? We have to put off the old man who was created 
to fall in rebellion against the Lord. The earthly members of our body that would be in rebellion against him would separate us from one another and just add to the pain and suffering of this life. If you're in Christ, he says, you've been created new. And you can put that old man off and put on the new man who's being created in the likeness of Christ who called us to him. Peter's drawing his attention, their attention to Christ and all of the promises that are in Christ. And we need to remember those promises and we need to remember Christ and who he is in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our difficulties and relationships with one another. And these things, these promises cannot be tampered with anything outside of ourselves. And so we need to interpret those difficult times through the lens of God's providence that we would understand that God is purposefully using difficulty in our life to make us more like his son. That we would face those challenges in this life No matter what it is, no matter what the news is, no matter what the disappointments are, the discouraging times, the hard times, we would think of those times as times where God's hands are upon us to cause us to grow and change. And that we can face those times with joy in our hearts. Because we know that the Lord is with us and able to get us through those difficult times. Well, not only that, but 1 Peter teaches us that if you are in Christ, that you are born again of an imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God that dwells within you. And that these people who have their faith in Christ are a people who have been taken out of the domain of darkness and they have been placed into the kingdom of God's beloved son. These are people who are blessed and we have to remember that, right? We have to remember that we are blessed in this world to have the knowledge of Christ and the gospel of his son. And that we have the message of reconciliation for the world around us. And that we have work to do in the kingdom of God. That we have the message that will change the hearts of men. And we need to boldly proclaim those glorious messages of truth. As a matter of fact, if we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8... He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, newness of life in every way as those who have been purchased of God for himself. A possession that we would be made people who proclaim the excellencies of Christ. In a wonderfully simple statement, in chapter 2, verse 17, Peter captures what this would look like in relationships with all people in the world. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That sums it up, right? Honor all people. It's very clear that in this new kingdom of his marvelous light, the people of God are to value people and treat them with honor and with love. So before you talk yourself into being rude or being impatient 
or justifying yourself to even hate somebody else, I want you to think clearly and recognize that this person that you're having conflict with is a person made in the image of God and God values people. He wants you to honor all people. But notice there's a special love that we're to have for the brotherhood. A brotherhood, that's often what the New Testament describes the Christian relationships within the church as brothers and sisters. And we are to love the brotherhood. And we're to fear God. And this is what would cause us to obey God and cause us to reverence him and cause us to love one another well is that we would respect and reverence God and honor God and that we would honor the king. It's interesting, right? Because Peter is writing at a time where there was a wicked emperor named Nero. And it's, it's difficult to imagine, right? That he would say to honor the king. But yet we're reminded that all authority is from above. And unless that authority is causing us to, or commanding us to sin against the Lord or worship other gods, that we need to honor those that are in authority over us. It's very clear that in this new kingdom of his marvelous light, the people of God are to work on their relationships with other people. And it's challenging, isn't it? It's not easy. I mean, this is something that takes constant work. It's something that takes a lot of prayer. It's something that takes a lot of meditation on his word. It's something that we all need to work on. You never get to a place. You're never going to read a book about relationships in Christ's kingdom and finish that book and say, I think I got it for the rest of my life. I I think I'm good. Because something's going to come up. Someone's going to say something hurtful, hard. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be a temptation to get right back in, into that old way of reacting and responding to people. Well, this morning I want to challenge you and encourage you as we look at this passage of Scripture together in 1 Peter 3.8. As we look at what does... The kingdom of God looked like in our relationships with one another in the body of Christ. And we're going to focus on that. And we're going to look together at these different dispositions of the heart. Heart attitudes of the believer that is going to help us to honor Christ in our relationships with one another in the kingdom of God. There's five dispositions of the believer's heart here. In 1 Peter 3.8, if we go back to that verse, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. What well, comes as no surprise that God desires for his children to dwell in peace with one another. As a parent, I, I enjoy when my children get along, and I don't like it when they don't. It's something that... I don't want to see that. I want, to, I want there to be peace in my home. And in the same way, God desires for there to be peace within the body of Christ. And he helps us through that. In Matthew's gospel, we, we read in the Beatitudes that the peacemaker is blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? In Paul's teaching, in the book of Romans... He says, as much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. As much as depends on you. Well, what dispositions or attitudes of the heart are going to give way to peace in our relationships with one another in the body of Christ? What posture should we take that will give us the best hope for peace, to glorify God? That the way that we interact with others would be a proclamation of Christ and his marvelous light to the watching world around us. Well, the first disposition of the heart is to be harmonious, to be harmonious. 
The word harmonious means to be like-minded or one-minded. It's the idea of maintaining unity with one another. Unity, right? We see this in, uh, in athletics, right? You see a team that they're one unit together, all for one and one for all. And their, their mind is, is fixed on what needs to be accomplished and they understand their role and they understand what, what they have to do to get that ball across the finish line. I'm sure at some point in your life you've probably heard someone sing out of tune or off key. Maybe even an instrument that's out of tune or off key. It's just not pleasant, right? You hear it and you want it to change. You want it to go back into harmony, right, with everyone else. Or you want to make that change. It doesn't sound good. And there could be many of you singing on key, but just one person, right, who's off key, it draws our attention away from the music, from the melody, from the, the beauty of the song. Well, we are people that have much in common. And maintaining unity is something that takes effort. We need to think about who we are. And some of the things that are going to help us to maintain unity is that we need to think about how all of us are in common in the sense that we have been purchased by the love, mercy, and grace of God. That there is no one in the kingdom of God that has entered into the kingdom of God because of his good behavior or because of his own righteousness. That all of us together were guilty before God. All of us together were deserving of the judgment of God. But yet he's looked upon all of us with favor. And he's looked upon us in such a way such a great way of love and mercy that he did not spare his son but delivered him over to the cross to die in our place. Being harmonious is the disposition of the heart that focuses on the unity that we have together in the body of Christ. Togetherness, oneness, rather than divisiveness. And this is not to say that there's never going to be a time that there needs to be distinctions made or that we would need to address false teaching or even sin that would need to be dealt with between us. Of course there is. But those things, though they need to be addressed when they come up, should not get in the way of our unity together, our harmony together in the body of Christ. Our hearts should be filled, saturated with the desire to maintain unity in the body of Christ. And this is a good time to check our hearts and think about how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. Are we peacemakers? Or are we people that tend to find something and use it to divide others? Friends, we think about Colossians 3, 10 and 11. Paul says, Have, having put on the new self, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and he is in all. As you look at this list, Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, you say, those, those are some things that divide, right? But if Christ can bring slave and free together, Greek and Jew together, and no doubt, Christ brings all of us together. And he wants us to work on being in unity with one another. And work toward that. Have a harmonious attitude in the body of Christ. Have a harmonious attitude. 
that would cause you to move toward one another in love, to be peacemakers, and to maintain the gospel of peace. If Christ is in all, then we should have the heart attitude of harmony and unity. But not only to have a harmonious attitude, but to have a sympathetic attitude. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, sympathetic, to be sympathetic. The word means to be mutually commensurate, having compassion one for another. Having compassion. I don't believe that we need to labor too hard here because I think of all the people on the earth, the Christian should be the most sympathetic. We just consider the grace of God that has been generously poured out upon us through the gospel of his son. In Titus chapter three, verses three through five, Paul writes, for we also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. This is a a snapshot of the heart of a man prior to being saved, prior to being made alive in Christ, that our relationships were extremely difficult. Hatred, hating one another, malice and envy, jealousy and gossip and slander and the like. In verse four, Paul says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but rather according to his mercy. This is a beautiful statement that ought to cause our hearts to well up with sympathy toward others. We need to work hard at being sympathetic. We need to be sympathetic toward others in their weaknesses, in their trials, in their losses, even in their battle with sin, even when their sin is directed toward yourself. And one of the One of my favorite resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, this is a time to make some resolutions. Maybe we could make this eighth resolution in Jonathan Edwards' resolutions our own for this year. He says, resolved to act in all respects, both in speaking and doing, as if nobody had ever been as sinful as I am. And when I encounter sin in others, I will feel, at least in my own mind and heart, as if I had committed the same sins or had the same weaknesses or failings as others. And I will use the knowledge of their failings to promote nothing but humility, even shame in myself. I will use awareness of their sinfulness and weakness only as an occasion to confess my own sin and misery to God. Think about what he's saying here. It's very easy to get focused on the sin of others around us. Spouses, children, parents, brother, sister, friends, neighbor, pastor. It's very easy. It's so easy. It's so easy that Jesus says, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? But you miss the log in your own eye. This is what Jonathan Edwards is saying. I think he believed that. I think he said to himself, I don't want to be the guy that misses the log in his own eye when he's trying to get the speck out of his brother's eye. It's such a foolish thing. But friends... I mean, this is, this is what our fallen sinful nature does. We think of the good that we do and we boast in ourselves. 
We want grace, sympathy, and patience from others, but we don't want to give it when somebody steps in our way. When life becomes a little more difficult, when we have to slow down now and and deal with something, right? Having a heart disposition of sympathy towards your fellow brother and sister in Christ will lead you to remind yourself of your need for the gospel. You've not arrived. You have to continually grow. We all need to be in the battle together, but we need to identify the enemy. The enemy is not you and you and you and me, right? The enemy is sin that's within our own hearts. That's my biggest problem. It's not you, it's not the weather, it's nothing outside of me. My biggest problem is me. My biggest problem is my own heart. And I need to wage war on my own heart. Because it's very easy for me to justify sin. It's very easy for me to blame others for my problems. But we need to be sympathetic. And and again, friends, this is something that is found in the gospel. This is something that is found in Christ. This is something that is found in God. That he sows into our hearts. I can't muster up the strength to do this on my own. This is not a a moralistic message this morning. This is a message where you would identify these things to be harmonious, to be sympathetic, and that you would cry out to God to help you and trust that His Spirit is within you if you are His to work these things out. And when these things are flowing out of your heart, friends, It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's contagious. It's attractive. It's a countenance that draws you near to one another. It helps us to do the work that is in the kingdom of Christ. Well, not only are we to be harmonious, right? To work hard to maintain unity in the body of Christ rather than divisiveness. Not only are we to be sympathetic and loving toward others, but we are to be brotherly. Be brotherly. Be brotherly. What does this mean? Well, I think there's much to be said about brotherly love, right? I mean, we read stories about brothers in history. As a matter of fact, there was a story that was told of Two brothers that were caught in a, and stranded in a cold and arctic condition. And they were amongst others, and they had to travel through some very terrible terrain and, and the cold to find shelter. And as they're traveling along with nothing to eat, men were falling face down in the snow dead and one of the brothers saw his brother fall to the ground and even though he barely had enough strength to carry himself through the snow he picked his brother up and he put his brother on his back and he walked with him and he carried his brother until he himself died But it was said that the brother that was on his back was revived because of the warmth that was generated in in the embrace of his brother. And he got up and he continued on and he survived. Friends, we should look at one another this way. We should share a higher level of love and commitment for one another in the kingdom of Christ. Not just, oh, there's another guy that goes to my church, or, oh yeah, I, I, I see them and, you know, at church every so often, but rather, we would say, this is my brother, this is my sister in Christ. 
And this is a, a love that would cause us to go out of our way for one another. To love one another in a sacrificial way. And friends, there, there's all sorts of need, even in, in our small congregation. There are people who are suffering right now today. No doubt, no doubt they need us to be brothers and sisters, to carry the load with them. And this is what our preeminent brother Christ did for us as he carried our dead, lifeless bodies of sin on his back to Calvary's tree. It's easy to excuse ourselves from serving one another. It's easy to excuse ourselves from not dealing, having to deal with the trouble of our brothers and sisters. It's easy to separate ourselves from one another when times get hard, times get rough. I know it is. I know it is. It's easy. We live in a, we live in a land of comfort and ease in many ways. There's a million things that you can escape to, to, to make yourself feel better and just, you know, slip away. But to be brotherly means that we, we take one another upon our own shoulders and we walk with one another. And we have a higher level of commitment. So my dear Christian brothers and sisters, let's saturate our hearts this morning with that Attitude of the heart of brotherly love. Brotherly love. Let's take up one another and help one another. Well, not only that, but the fourth disposition is to be kind-hearted. So being harmonious, working toward unity rather than division. To be sympathetic, right? Rather than judging one another and separating ourselves to be brotherly, to take on that responsibility of one another, but to be kind-hearted. This word just simply means to be tender-hearted. To be tender-hearted. I think this is one of the most wonderful characteristics that we see in Christ Jesus. He was a tender-hearted Savior. He was well-compassioned. He looked upon people with love, even as he did the rich young ruler. It says he looked upon him with love. That man would reject him and wander away from Christ. He showed kindness, tenderheartedness toward the woman with the issue of blood that reached out in faith and touched his garment and was healed. He showed kindness and tenderheartedness even to Judas Iscariot moments before he would leave him and, and go and betray him by washing his feet. No doubt he showed kindness on the cross when he uttered this prayer. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Praying for the soldiers, the very soldiers who nailed him to the cross. Friends, if you are in Christ this morning, then by the power of the Spirit, you have the capacity to be kind-hearted. Sometimes it's very easy to give an excuse to be short with people or rude or easily offended. I always say this, but you know, the longer we walk with Christ, the shorter our toes need to be, right? And it's true. What would your relationships look like in the body of Christ? What would the body of Christ look like today if you sought the Lord to fill your heart with the disposition of kindness and tenderheartedness toward one another? How sweet it must be for our Heavenly Father to look down upon his children and seeing them being kind-hearted, tender-hearted toward one another. Friends, I see it here. I see it in your lives. I hear stories of your tender-heartedness toward one another. And it's a glorious thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. 
that proclaims the majesty of Christ our King. And remember, he says that they will be known by this. They will be known by their love for one another. That's a mark of identity in Christ, that you would be known that you're a Christian, not by how much theology you know, even though that's important, and I would never tell you not to study that deeply and with all your might, but friends, that good theology needs to give way to love, sacrificial love and tenderheartedness. We don't want to start things between one another in the body. Christ wants us to be in unity. He wants us to be an army that would lay down our lives for one another and pick one another up. Like that brother, no doubt, in that cold and frigid temperature when he was near the end of his own life. He spent the remainder of his life carrying his brother. Let's carry one another. Let's just keep going. Carrying one another, praying for one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, helping one another, admonishing one another. That is a full life. That is the joy-filled life. That is the happy road. In 2022, don't forget the kind-heartedness of Christ as he looked upon you with mercy, as he looked upon you in your helpless state. For at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Tenderheartedly did he look upon you in your state of spiritual death. Friends, let's be tender-hearted toward one another. Let's be harmonious. Let's uphold unity in the body of Christ. Let's be sympathetic. Let's be brotherly. Let's be kind-hearted. And not just that we hope that in those times when it's difficult to do this that we would remember this and, and try to put it to practice. But let's say to ourselves, I want to be a kind-hearted follower of Christ. I want to be a sympathetic man. I want to be harmonious in the body of Christ. This is my ambition. I want to be this way because Christ gives me that strength to do it. And all that is in Christ through faith, he will work that in our own hearts if we're intentional and deliberate and diligent to seek it. And this is going to take repentance, friends. As you think about your relationships with one another here in the body of Christ, examine it. And if you're recalling times where this was not you, you have a Savior who will forgive you and pour out his love upon you and he will advocate for you to the Father that is in heaven because he laid his life down for you. And he says, confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And if any of you do sin, we have an advocate. He expiated the guilt through the cross and the shame of our sin. He propitiated through the cross with the Father to cause him to be satisfied. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross accomplished your salvation and strengthens you to be more like him day by day. But it takes intentionality. It takes effort. It's so much easier 
just to point out the wrong in you and you and you and you and you and her and whoever. But that's not how you learned Christ. We didn't learn Christ in that way. He taught us to be kind-hearted. Well, finally, here we are on our fifth point. Be humble. Be humble. Be humble in spirit. This means to be meek-minded. To be meek-minded. This is having the disposition to endure when wronged while demonstrating patience without resentment. Without resentment. Resentment's not going to help you along in your humility. Many of us can be quickly offended. Many of us can be quick to hold a grudge or to pass judgment or to think of ourselves more highly than we should. That can kind of be the, you know, ready, shoot, aim, you know, approach or response pattern of our heart. But to be humble is to have this attitude where we see ourselves as a servant rather than a master. I like the way John MacArthur once said it. He said, make everyone your master. Christ had a disposition of serving and love. And many of you demonstrate this in, in incredibly encouraging ways. And I think in the body of Christ, there's many of us that we see humility and it, it draws our hearts to be like that as well. Pride is, is never going to help us in our relationships with one another. And it certainly isn't going to reflect the attitude of Christ. Well, what was Christ's attitude? Remembering that he was fully God. What was his attitude and his relationships to people in the body of Christ? How was he? How did he live in the body of Christ? Was he puffed up in pride? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, humility, humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but look to the interests of others. And, and friends, this is not natural for a man. This is something that is found in Christ. And we have this great privilege through faith in Christ to be able to do these things by His strength and His power and His grace. And that is an incredibly difficult task for any man, right? But through faith in Christ, we can grow in our humility and love toward one another. In verse 5, Paul goes on to say, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. This was the attitude of Christ. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In this ultimate argument from the greater to the lesser, Paul teaches us that if Christ, who existed in the very form of God, was willing to give up his status and privilege as the Son of God to his own advantage here on earth and humble himself and become a servant 
to death, even death on a cross, the excruciating and humiliating death on a cross, then how much more should we humble ourselves before men? If the one who was fully God in human form humbled himself very low, the one who was very high and holy would humble himself very low, how much more should we who are very low humble ourselves lower? Friends, pride, haughtiness, high-mindedness, arrogance, and the like have no place in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And friends, we have to be intentional here. We have to be intentional here. We don't see it. Remember, we miss logs in our own eyes. We want to be deliberately intentional to grow in humility and laying our life down for others. Begin to look to the interest of others. Think about your own home. Look to the interest of others in your own home. Start the practice there of laying your life down to look to the interest of others. And friends, if you are in Christ Jesus through faith, again, His Spirit empowers you to be sanctified and to grow in the fruits of the Spirit to be able to display these things in your relationships with one another in the body of Christ. That if there was an outsider to come into our assembly week in, week out, that these things, these virtues, these heart attitudes and dispositions, if we work to practice these things, that these people would say, this is a peculiar people. This is different than anywhere else on the planet. This love here is profound. I remember before my mom was converted and came to Christ and became a part of this church that she used to tell my wife and I, she would say, they, you're, you're people there, they just love one another. If I have anything, if I need help with something, they, I, I say, hey, I need help moving something and they'll come help me move it. And she saw that. She began to recognize that love of Christ that is in the body of Christ. And no doubt that was a, a motivation for her to pursue him. The Spirit does this work in our hearts. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, again, as an apostle of Christ, writing to those who reside as aliens, meaning that they're from another place, right? We're, we're citizens of heaven, but here... Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. These are the Christians here that he's writing to. And he says, they were chosen of God according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Wow. As I mentioned, this message this morning could very easily become just a moral message of do's and don'ts. Do this and don't do that if I don't connect it to the gospel of Christ. Peter reminds the believers in the early church that no doubt, even ourselves as well, that they are able to obey Christ because of the work of the Spirit, because of the sanctifying work of the gospel. That the gospel saves us from the wrath that is to come, from what our sins deserve, but not only does it save us from the judgment of God, but the salvation that is found in Christ sanctifies our hearts and causes us to grow in the likeness of our Savior. 
If you find yourself sitting here this morning and you're, you're recognizing that these dispositions are very foreign to you, not that you would argue against them, but that you don't see them much in your own heart, in your relationships with others. You could be a Christian that just needs to be more diligent in the word, needs to be more diligent to seek the grace of God in prayer. But it's also a possibility that you have never come to know Christ. The harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble Savior. And friend, if, if that is you this morning, then you need to fly to Him. You need to go to Him. That there is no amount of human effort that you can begin to change your own heart. Even with this good information, the Bible teaches us that God gave us the law, but the law did nothing but harden us. And more sin came out because of the law. And we're thankful for the law because the law teaches us our sin and our need for grace and our need for salvation and the need for the cross. Because if righteousness came in any other human way, then Christ didn't need to die. And none of us would be willing to say that. Do a heart check this morning. And my hope that this wouldn't just be a message that you hear and you forget by the time you get home and you never ponder it again. And it's just lost somewhere. What I'm saying is that you have a Savior who died for you. And if you don't see these things in your heart and in your life, then maybe you have not come to saving faith. Well, what a better time to come to saving faith, the beginning of the new year, that you would go to Christ, confess your sins, and trust in his finished work for you on the cross. And find salvation in the Spirit of God to continue to sanctify you. My friend, also, if you're sitting here this morning as a, a born-again Christian, as a man who has come to saving faith in Christ, and you find yourself lagging behind in these kingdom dispositions of the heart that no doubt would help you to be at peace with one another, I encourage you to hide this verse in your heart. To memorize it, to memorize this verse and to pray through it daily and to seek the Lord, that you begin to grow in these things. And I encourage you, because God says what you ask for according to my will, I will give you. And this is certainly according to his will, that you would be this way, that you would display these things. And so you can pray with confidence that he will give these things to you. I want to leave you with this uh, little illustration before we take communion together. If you've ever gone camping before when it's raining, you try to light a fire. Has anyone ever done that before? Just me. And you're trying to light the wood and the wood is soaking wet. And that's a real problem. Because the rain is not going to dry it out. It's just going to get more wet. Leads to frustration. You're doing everything you can to ignite it. Well, I I want you to think about your heart is kind of that that wood. And the way that we interact with, with others in the body of Christ sometimes can, it's like a little match. And if the wood of your heart is super dry it might ignite your heart to sin. These virtues is like that rain that can saturate your heart so much so that when those times come of difficulty with one another in the body of Christ, that it's extremely hard to set your heart ablaze to sin. These dispositions are treasures, friends. And so I just encourage you to seek the Lord today and seek to grow in these things and then 
display these things in our relationships with one another. Amen. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get ready for communion. I'm going to ask Pastor Dale to come up and lead us. And so let's prepare our hearts for that.